not to be like a pure Tory, but I've only got like an hour and 15 minutes before I have to get ready for the ashes. Ooh, la yeah. da <laughs> Yeah, so the cr- cricket will be calling me in about 90 minutes' time. Okay. That's, uh, that's all right. I mean, it could be rugby union. Which no, was then, no, which was then we'd be like, like you know. I only go like cricket is about as Tory as like it gets, but also <laughs> I actually played cricket. <laughs> rugby union, hit... the only kind of union I will tolerate. Rugby <laughs> is the worst class rugby, apparently. Um, yeah, I've heard that. I played cricket as a kid, so um, I don't like it when people say, "Oh, cricket is really Tory." I was like, "Do you know how?" hard it is to be an inner london child who gets to play cricket regularly (laughs) and because uh let me just look at this story hello who's that yeah i've got a wind coming through yeah i'm getting that i'm trying to find somewhere that isn't windy but (laughs) in the great white north it's pretty difficult Sorry, I'm Jude. trying to cover my jacket or something. <laughs> Jude, if I ask you to um, re-say things, it doesn't reflect badly on you. It's just the connection and wanting like a better sounding it show. Bad. It really does reflect badly on me. Don't sugarcoat it. <laughs> Give it to me. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> <laughs> Opposing the government and opposing the Conservatives, I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that is the nature of the hard left. And of course, we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any who dissent. Who are the hard left, Chris? We know who the hard left are. In the you know ascendancy I, I, within, the, within the Labour Party, who associate with the hard left. You just said so that we were right to right wing. The hard left agenda: printing money, nationalising without compensation that sort of hard left wing position hard sort of left is the hard left the hard left and the hard left the hard left the hard left hard left hard left the hard left and the hard left hard left the hard left 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 the hard left the hard left 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 the hard left hard left left hard left hard left hard left hard left hard left this is the my Hello, welcome to the Real Politics Podcast. Uh, Tom here. We've got a very special episode on today. I'm joined by Jack Freeman Reed, the sole head of the Real Politic Podcast. Head we are all show, puppets. Yeah, <laughs> I have got my hand heads. up your asshole. Yep, he's the sole uh, kind of operator. We're the puppets, and he's got us on strings, and we're just Punch doing everything he says. You're just knocking fucking bits out of each other. Oh, God. <laughs> and also, Yaya Rice. Uh, Hi. From the <laughs> Reporting US live state from of Canada. Montana. <laughs> yeah, oh, you're in Canada. Montana. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I'm in the land of true right now. <laughs> the land of true love. You 
poor soul. <laughs> He's talking about my feelings for Trudeau. Oh, yeah. The king melts. Um, <laughs> a very special guest. <laughs> Sorry. And a very special guest today. Uh, a regular guest on our show. The incredible Jude Banger. Thank you very much for joining oh, us, Jude. Thank, sorry, thanks for having me. I'm currently dying. <laughs> are, you, are you hitting that loud, Jude? Yeah. I can't... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like half delirious right now, so everything's going to be unintentionally fucked. <laughs> All pops um... up and bubbling and logically. <laughs> I'll, I'll just shout. Yeah, just shout and um it's my outdoor voice. Ah! Did you hear about the, uh, the the English rugby union team? They were asked if they I think it was something along the lines of they were asked to see if they could donate their match appearance to I believe it was they were playing Samoa. Yeah, they were they were basically because there's uh you know it's it's there's a lot of poverty going on in Samoa right now and uh, they were off asked if they could possibly share some of their match fee with you know and just have it sent over to you know families in uh, Samoa and I believe they took the decision not to do that they said no fuck you so <laughs> isn't that lovely isn't that nice isn't that great lovely what a <laughs> so what are we talking today what the so what, what are we talking about today then Tom Wait one sec. No, sorry. It was with their. It was with their rugby. It was with their rugby union. They wanted to because their rugby union is not in a good state uh, financially, and they were asked if they could. Sorry, it was not two struggling families in Samoa. God, that now that is spreading fake news. I apologise. <laughs> sorry, Tom. Tom D, delete this, please. I think it's a disgrace. Information that was false and fake and never happened. It's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. You are fake news. Right. <laughs> Actually, Sorry. you've just reminded me with the mention of, of, of our long-time hobby, fake news, but I'm actually starting a new business venture with my close personal friend, Richard Angel. Um, what, we're, what, what we're starting is a fake news emporium because obviously progress are going to be going down faster than living Marxism when they libeled ITN in the course of <laughs> denying the Rwandan genocide. So when when Young Labour sue Progress for claiming that they want to destroy the state of Israel and nationalise Greggs, and Progress are just completely <laughs> financially destroyed without Lord Sainsbury paying their legal fees. Like, me and Dickie A, we're gonna, <laughs> me and little Dickie, what we're going to do is we're, we're going to get together an organisation where... We spread fake news, then we boast about it, um, and then we spread it again, and it, it just goes around, basically, the spreading and the boasting and boasting and circles spreading. Circles and circles. So it's circle jerk, you could say, even. <laughs> so, what are we I, talking about today? <laughs> well, before we get into our main item for today, I just wanted to um, plug oh a piece of real politic affiliated product, which actually came out, like way early in October. <laughs> so this is the work of our friend Andy Till, and uh, it's an app for Android. Can you use it for other places? Uh, I don't know. It's it's on the Google. I think it's only Android. Only Android, but that's fine, because that's what I've got. It's on the And Google. that's what I've got, so... <laughs> it, 
it's on the Google Play Store. So what happens is you uh, you fade in the Internationale, and then there's various things you can do. Like you can uh, get various sound effects going, for instance. started this podcast that um, that we'd have someone make a, an app for that. So I can't like, turn it off. I can't. Turn yeah, I was just going to say I don't know if it's a bug or a feature, but I downloaded it just now and I could not turn off the internationale. It just kept playing over you guys, like like everything was stirring. You can't the internationale. You can't. <laughs> okay. Who are the hard left? Do you know Jude? Can you answer that question? Okay, a little bit of uh, news. Friend of the show, Jason Cowley, has won Editor of the Year. Current Affairs Editor of the Year, sorry, at the BSME Awards. The BSME Awards? The BSME... Do you know what that means, Jude? Bullshit Social Media Editors Award? (laughs) Yeah, it's like something... Something melts something. (laughs) (laughs) Sensible Melt Editors Award. (laughs) Jason Cowley has somehow won an award for editing the New Statesman over the last year. Getting everything wrong in the last year. Fair play to him, that's an incredible achievement. Not actually editing the New Statesman, but winning an award for it. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, it really is an inspiring story, seeing the kind of heights that Cowley is reaching in his career, because as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a spy cop. Um, There's a new Andrew Spooner article out on his blog, Moment of Crisis. Um... However, it's every moment. Yeah, (laughs) it was too tedious and incoherent to read out on the show. So (laughs) I decided we wouldn't do a real politic reading series on it. The only Andrew Spoon article you need to read is the one that was read out on the Uphold Southalism episode. That's the only one you have to listen read. Yeah, and you can have Jack's sultry tones read out to you. So go check that out. (laughs) If anything, I'm you know, I'm so sultry. I'm a new Audrey Horn up in this bitch. Uh, reference for all the Twin Peaks heads out there, and Yair appears to have gone. He's had enough. <laughs> He's just thrown the towel in. Like, fuck this. He's like, Jack's referencing Twin Peaks again. I'm fucking out of here. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I accidentally turned on airplane mode as well. Yeah. <laughs> 
And also, uh, like, there's been another major bit of news in the last few days, which is, can't believe it, really want to run to you. Uh, the, 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 the people's princess has, has, has fallen. You know, it seems to me he lived his life, uh, his political life, like a candle in the wind. Of course, talking about a friend of a show, Robert Mugabe. Like, oh my God, I'm so, so sad. So sad to see you gone, Robert. Uh, it's like, I'm, this is a, a tragic day for the pro dictator left everywhere. He will always be the leader of Zimbabwe in our hearts. <laughs> the um slightly undignified fall of mugabe it was just really bizarre i I don't know if anybody else just found it really fucking bizarre just it was quite surreal to watch unfold like he's is it a coup is it not a coup is he going is he not going are they going to impeach him will he not be impeached it's just really weird like he's old as fucking shit he's like yeah (laughs) yeah i think he's turning 93 soon yeah What I am getting from Twitter now is that Emerson Manangagwa, who's just been sworn in as the new president of Zimbabwe, is currently trying to get his Twitter account verified. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the pressing issues. Yeah, good luck to him because ZANU PF still don't have a blue tick, so. I mean. But then again, all the right nationalists do, so it can't be that difficult, right? But of course, the first thing that um, Menangwa uh, said is that he's going to restore all the land that were confiscated under Mugabe. And it's like, really? The first thing you say once you get into power is that you're going to give all the white racists their land back? Yeah, cause, yeah, so I, I, I saw um, Munangagwa denies that he's going to review or rescind the the land repossessions. But then, yeah, I saw you post a thing that suggests that maybe he is going to go back on, um, on those reforms Mugabe did. Government is committed to compensating those farmers from whom land was taken in terms of our laws of the land. As we go into the future, complex issues of land tenure will have to be addressed, both urgently and definitively. We dare not prevacate on this key issue. I've been reading a lot of like the CNN coverage of the Mugabe thing. I find it kind of annoying that there's just this idea that he stole all the white people's land and then the economy <laughs> went to shit. And it's like, what? why do you think he stole the white people? St- stealing isn't even, you know, a good way to put no, it. But why you can't he- steal what was originally yours. Yeah, exactly. But what, why did people think that Zimbabwe reached such a point of crisis that Mugabe <laughs> felt the need to do this? It was because it was already in a state of economic turmoil. Yeah. Um, you know, the problem really is that he didn't do it sooner. I mean, yeah. there's one of those weird, like, sensible sense ads who've been trying to do the whole left-wing <laughs> Corbyn Mugabe comparisons and um, I think it was my friend Zoe Samudzi who actually put it well which is that Mugabe was never a revolutionary of any kind he was all about power and he was yeah. having to use revolution as a vehicle for him to grab that power and it's not just Mugabe these kind of western puppets who were able to trade with the outgoing colonial powers to get their power in the first place, used the unrest of the country to position themselves in positions (coughs) of authority. So 
the same thing happened in Congo with Mobutu. Mobutu was the USA puppet. They liked him. Mm-hmm. He was willing to trade with them. And the people got behind him because he was saying that he was going to restore Congo to its kind of original Congolese roots. It was going to give it a new name and people would be learning the mother tongue from birth instead of having to learn French and all of that. And he really tapped into that kind of nationalist feeling in the in the trying to reclaim their identity. And this kind of plays out in a lot of sub-Saharan African I suppose it was also kind of similar, at least for a while, with uh, Idi Amin until yes. the British got sick of him. All of <laughs> African despots who kind of came in with each other or within like 10, 15, 20 years of each other and all really refused to let go of that power because, you know, it's the older dodge, the power corrupts and yeah. power corrupts absolutely. And like all of them have either been assassinated or been ousted because they refused to let go. So I don't think anyone should be under any illusions that Robert Mugabe was like a left with firebrand because he definitely was not that. He always tried to kind of appropriate that rhetoric. Like I saw a quite funny interview with him from a few years ago where they asked him what, what he thought the economic crisis in Zimbabwe had been caused by and he was like yeah 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 we made some mistakes like going too capitalist (laughs) (laughs) but actually that leads on to I guess the sort of like worries I'm having about Manangagwa which are that he's basically been Mugabe's deputy his right hand man ever since he took power he's known as the crocodile every three months A person is torn to pieces by a crocodile in North Queensland. He's known for his longevity in Zimbabwean politics and for being, if anything, even more hardline in terms of keeping order than Mugabe himself. Mm. And um, also he seems, as you mentioned with his uh, possible reversal of the land reforms, Jude, he also does seem to be a lot more open to kind of Western business interests, to letting capital into the country. Well, I think what Mnangagwa saw is that they have an old guy who is in his last years clearly I mean although I personally think that Mugabe lives on through the hatred of all the other people in the west but he saw that you know this guy is like in his mid 90s and he's positioning his wife affectionately known yeah. as Grace <laughs> um, just because she used to take all the basically all the money out of Zimbabwe and she used to go and spend it on the Champs Elysees in Paris, like buying shitloads of shit in Gucci and <laughs> and uh, Louis Vuitton and spending the country's money. It was her and Winnie Mandela <laughs> would go on shopping trips together. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but yes, yeah, basically trying to position his wife to take over. And therefore, he would never really leave power because he would be able yeah. to be kind of like a shadow president behind his wife. And that pissed off his deputy, who for him, they probably had an unspoken agreement that, you know, you go, I take over and we carry on. And the problem is, if you're going to piss off your deputy and you're going to try and install some kind of nepotistic family dynasty, at least do it to somebody who doesn't have control of the army. You don't have <laughs> yeah. your army. You are yeah, right. <laughs> like, it's like the most rookie mistake Mugabe could have made because it's exactly how Kabila's not the current president of Congo, but his father is exactly how he was assassinated. When you lose control of your army, you are living on borrowed time. <laughs> well, it, it's why the coup against Hugo Chavez in two thousand and two wasn't. Who's your friend? Hello. Hi. Hi. What's... Good. Good. Hi. 
Is that Prince there? What's going on? No. <laughs> Wait, what? What's happening? I'm just hearing a load of a load of noises. I'm in a mall. <laughs> also, I'm asking my parents to get me a drink. Yaya's end. And the mic connection keeps like going crazy. But yeah, yeah is in the mall. But what he should really be doing is asking, "What are your views on Robert Mugabe?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah, do us some vox pops yeah, about vox Mugabe. Pop. Yeah, see what I should, the people I? of Canada think about Mugabe. <laughs> what you mentioned, Jude, that was the reason that the US-backed coup against Hugo Chavez in 2002 wasn't successful. In addition to not having a great amount of popular support. Chavez commanded an incredible amount of respect amongst the army, so at the end of the day they basically just made the unilateral decision to install him back in power. <laughs> um, and I can think of another couple of historical antecedents for what you're saying. So in the 1970s, after he had rebranded as oh, totally not racist, George Wallace, the governor of Alabama, wasn't able to run again because of term limits. So he, he just ran his wife yeah. in his place and she won by a landslide. And that's obviously what Mugabe <laughs> wanted to do. But I as learned it was, all that from that album, The Dirty South. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. That's from Southern Rock Opera by the Drive-By Truckers, not the Dirty that's South. That's the one. That's the one. Yeah, the yeah. Dirty South is a sick album as well, though. So like, well, well played. But, but basically, it seems like the Mugabe Manangagua dynamic was almost a kind of Blair Brown one, where yeah. Manangagua is just the Gordon Brown of the duo. <laughs> just like waiting for years and years and he's just like this cunt is just getting older he's just clinging on to power <laughs> like i'm gonna fucking die before this piece of shit is out of fucking office <laughs> <laughs> sort of like prince charles with the queen i guess yes Basically. <laughs> exactly. But sadly, I guess Gordon Brown didn't command enough respect in the military to <laughs> have Blair removed from power. Can you just imagine it led by Brown? Oh, wait. No, come on. If Munangagwa is Gordon Brown, does that make Damien McBride the Zimbabwe army? <laughs> He'd probably like that. That's very much the kind of image <laughs> he tries to cultivate. Damien McBride there, head of Emily Thornberry's office. Uh. <laughs> like, he's back. Yeah, he's back in the fold. <laughs> uh, he's such an interesting character. Like, he is. I mean, work him out. He's actually more left-wing than most sort of Brownite types, because he's anti-Trident. He recognises there's inequality mm. in Islington. He, he used to follow my old account mate, rest in peace. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I used to have really interesting conversations that were not about politics. He has some very interesting pop culture views. You should invite him on the show. Oh my god, Damien <laughs> McBride, come on Real Politic. Well, if you think about it, he was actually salting slugs online years <laughs> before any of us. Like, hence, in fact, he got sacked from the Brown government. <laughs> yeah. Had to, had to write a book. Like, I was, it was terribly wrong that I smeared Tory activists on the internet. It's like, no, it wasn't. It was dope. <laughs> It was fucking tight, man. Do it again. Best thing you ever did. It's the real, real. It's the real, real. Should we move on to the main item for today, then? Let's do it. Yeah. Let's fucking let's fucking do this. Um. Okay. If any, if uh, anyone. The, the... What? The, the, no, Tom, the... go ahead. Hello. Hello? Yep. What? Hello. What? Hey. 
is that um, the diegesis of the supermarket? Huh? I'm those... Ah, welcome back, Jude. Are those supermarket sounds in the background? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just general people milling about kind of noise. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, did I'm Tom... trying to find quiet places, but, you know. Have you guys heard what the latest slur is up there with Earth. Perf, Melt, melt. Cap- well, uh, sorry, Centrist, yeah. Capitalist. Uh, yeah, or... Capitalist. Capitalist is, is the new slur, actually. Some knobhead yeah, right. Okay. Capitalism is a derogatory Marxist term. Don't let them name us. It's the free market. <laughs> I saw that earlier. I have not seen that, but that sounds amazing. Yeah, it's so fucking tight. I can't remember what Nobhead wrote it, but, like, definitely a, 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 just a, comp- a stupid fuck. Oh, God. So there's this new play on in the West End called Labour of Love, starring Martin Freeman and Tamsin <laughs> Grieg. And I, I saw them interviewed on Andrew Marr the other day, and, like, Martin Freeman was just like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I voted for Jeremy Corbyn, yeah, yeah, but I think, you know, it's very important that a play like this makes a strong centrist argument when centrist politics aren't represented or something. I'm like, mate, there is no fucking reason to represent centrist politics, like, five managerial bow-tie-wearing dipshits, yeah. It's kind of cute, though, that at the moment you've got that clamour to say, oh, I voted for Corbyn, while still trying to have that kind of old... But I'm not a lefty. No, that old sense of, you know, I'm a sensible voter, which is going to be completely abandoned in about two years' time. There'll be absolutely nobody who's going to try to appeal to some kind of... Because there'll be no, there'll be no need to keep that facade up anymore. Like in in two years, time you'll be able to go, yeah, I voted for Corbyn, and what? <laughs> <laughs> that is the nature of the hard left. <laughs> hard left. On that J- note, guys, I'm gonna have to get going now. <laughs> oh, okay. Thanks for calling in from the supermarket, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no problem. Have a good rest of the recording. All right. Oh, no. I hope, I hope Canada good. treats you well. So far, so good. I'll let you know if they take me hostage. Thank you. Before we move on to our main item, just going back to the Jason Cowley inexplicably winning an award thing, Fraser Nelson, the editor of The Spectator, which the New Statesman is increasingly indistinguishable from, has um, tweeted, Congrats to Jason Cowley for winning this prestigious award. The New Statesman has never been better. And uh, the funny bit is this is retweeted by Michael Gove. <laughs> oh my word all of these kind of media awards and i'm not i just i don't understand why they have so many where it's just them awarding each other for saying yeah. the same thing that the other person said two weeks ago and it's like what is the point i mean i was looking at the photos and it's like the most glaringly white room if it was a color on the Dulux colour scheme, it would be apple white. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. like, there might have been, like, four people of colour in there, and three of them were presenting awards, and one of them won. And I was, like, I was just looking at it. <laughs> this is really embarrassing. I don't understand how you guys can come into this room every year 
not look around and go, holy shit, this is absurdly wide. Um, <laughs> everywhere. And it's like in the, the platitudes that they give to the winners, it's like you've chosen these winners not based on the strength of anything they've written. Marina Hyatt has not written a good article in about five years. Why is she still winning stuff? Like, her comedy or her sarcasm is just becoming more and more forced. <laughs> it like, is just sarcasm, des- isn't it? <laughs> desperately trying to cram in some kind of Corbyn jibe or left jibe or centrist jibe. And it's like, Marina, you're just not funny anymore, love. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let it die. I just love the idea of all these Tory hacks like Fraser Nelson, like kind of slapping Jason Cowley on the back for miserably failing to bring right wing ideas to a left wing audience. And the, like, the thing is, is that they, they look around and they congratulate themselves and they slap themselves on the back. And not a single one of them is in tune with anything that's happening in this society in England right now, in the UK right now. It's really, really sad. You've got a room full of journalists who did not see a hunk parliament coming this year, who did not see Brexit coming, who did not see a conservative majority in 2015, who have consistently missed every single fucking clue that was staring them in the face and still <laughs> have the audacity to present themselves as the forethinkers of the <laughs> So on this theme of a complete and resolute lack of political foresight should we move on to the main item for today's show we should so this is the new bbc2 documentary labor the summer that changed everything wow (laughs) what a documentary so i've I've had it confirmed now that it, it is not mere speculation that this documentary was originally called the end of labor Oh, from your real politics contacts, your sources. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, between you and me, it's... But <laughs> but I'm not going to put that in the show. But yeah, this comes from... And um, it's pretty fascinating watching this film. You see almost in real time a filmmaker make the same enormous political miscalculations the rest yeah. as the Parliamentary Labour Party did for the most part. Exactly. It was obviously like formatted as being this documentary that was going to document the fall of Labour, the end of Corbynism and the movement that went with it. And it's it's because the first half of it plays like what the documentary was originally going to be. It follows the the set of MPs, Stephen Kinnock, Lucy Powell. Who else do they follow in there? It, there's a, there's an MP representative. One's favourite racist, Sarah Champion. Hell oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, oh, and Champion. God, she comes off in it as just an unrepentant racist. Because <laughs> like, it covers the Sun article, doesn't it? It covers the Sun like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, oh. you were stupid enough to let that be filled. Sarah Champion has found out the hard way that the rules in Corbyn's new Labour Party are changing. Following the conviction of a grooming gang, she'd been keen to get on the media to make a point. So this was the first interview you did on the, the, on the day, on the 10th. Yeah, they called me up the, the night Pakistan before, um, asked me if I would do it. I said I would only go on if I actually say that the majority perpetrated in this type of crime are a Pakistani Well, let's talk about that with Sarah Champion, who's Labour MP for Rotherham. This is a specific group of men that are doing this crime. Uh, for example, on the news last night, there was a picture of um, 18 of the people that were convicted. There 
there was no comment that 17 of those were clearly um, Asian men. This isn't racist, this is child protection, and we need to be grown up about this and deal with it. So you're happy with that? You were happy with that? Happy with that. Yeah. Stand by that. Yeah. Would say it again and again and yeah. again until people listen to me. Ah. Uh, what I noticed about Sarah Champion and the furore around her son article is that she just does not see what the problem was. She keeps saying, oh, you know, people just can't accept that I wrote an article in the sun. And it's not that, I mean, actually, it is bad that it was in the sun. Labour MPs should not be writing in the sun. But... That's not actually the issue. The issue is the substance of what she wrote in that article, which was fucking racist and entirely in line with the stuff that she says in this documentary. Like, we see her refusing to go on a radio interview unless she can explicitly identify Pakistani men as the primary culprits of this kind of child sexual abuse, which is not factually accurate. You could tell that the entire premise of the thing was to show the end of the Corbyn experiment, as they would call it. And they mm. had chosen the three Corbyn critics that they thought would be kind of positioning themselves to salvage the party. You know, you had Sarah Champion, who had played the part and not been openly hostile towards Corbyn and had been in the shadow cabinet and blah, blah, blah. Before torching her reputation in the most spectacular fashion. Obviously, they had her at the beginning. She was supposed to be there to show, well, I tried to work with Corbyn. And then you've Mm. got Lucy Powell, who was going to be there to be like, well, I tried and then it didn't work last year. And then I wasn't sure which direction he was going in. And then you had your Labour grandee persona in, um, you know, Poundland, Lex Luthor, Stephen Kinnock, who (laughs) was there to represent... I've never been on board with Corbyn and I knew this was a mistake yeah, from the beginning yeah. and now this is how we need to rebuild, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And then obviously, things don't really work out. Yeah, yeah that's what, the best way to put it, isn't it, really? It what was work. the role of Ruth Cadbury in the, in the documentary? <laughs> Ruth, Ruth Cadbury basically was there just to show how a lot of Labour MPs, if they are honest with themselves, will have to admit that they owe their majorities to Momentum and to Jeremy Corbyn because Ruth Cabri was like the funniest display of absolutely terrible canvassing I've ever seen him. <laughs> he could not convince anybody on the doorstep to vote for her and yet her majority like skyrocketed into the thousands. Let's get that kettle on. She'll be calling a lot of people. It's very important in this campaign that we connect directly with people. So have you decided how you're going to be voting? No. Okay. If you do think of any anything you particularly like, uh, or you need to ask me that might help you make up your mind, let me know. Okay. Cheers, Paul. Okay. Bye. It's a hard slog, isn't it? Getting those votes. Well, in a really marginal seat like this, it's it's that one-to-one conversation might make the difference. Oh, hello, are you Brian. Yes. Ruth Cadbury. Standing to be Labour's MP again, and I just wondered if you know who you'll be voting for in the election. Well, I'm afraid I shan't be voting for you, because of your leader. I couldn't possibly support a man like that. Okay. Really nice to meet you, sir. Cheers. Um, Just wondered uh, if you've had any thoughts about which way you're going to be voting on 8th of June? Uh, Oh, oh, okay. okay. With Corbyn at the top of voters' concerns, Ruth has a unique message. Vote for me and I promise to get rid of him. I've got more chance of influencing what does happen in terms of the leadership by being an MP than, than by not being an MP. 
even you know as and when there is a uh, a, a challenge okay all right okay cheers okay bye-bye <laughs> but do you remember the part with lucy powell when she goes to the uh there's the kids on sitting on the wall and she, <laughs> and she some kids on a wall <laughs> and she goes oh, so you're gonna be voting labor now my dad's gonna vote conservative she's gonna go with theresa may she went ah oh, okay why is that and then and then the kids what do the kids say they say something like oh, <laughs> My dad says but that Corbyn wants to take the nukes away. Whatever happens tonight, Lucy Powell will hold her seat in Manchester. So she's with her team in the nearby battleground of Bury South. I'll just stick this in the door. Can you remind them to vote later? It's election day today. Do you know what that means? Yeah, so it's either Theresa May or... Jeremy Corbyn, yeah? I want Theresa Do you? My dad does. Really? Your mum and dad want Theresa May? Well, I want I want the other one. I want Jeremy Corbyn. Well, someone told my dad that one of them wanted to get rid of the nuclear weapons. Oh, I see. Right, OK. So without voting for him. OK. Well, you let them know that I was, I was in the area anyway. All right. OK, nice to meet you. <laughs> and then Lucy Powell just walks away. Yeah, she she's doesn't like, even try right. and debate. That's that, then. There's no way we can convince these, like, Imagine little children. A nine-year-old getting confronted by a nine-year-old, like, spouting nuclear war yeah. and not stopping <laughs> to think, maybe I should try to change their mind. I know, well, but because, like, yeah, it, All right. they All see right. it as the most <laughs> rational and sensible position that you can have is just to, like, uncritically support nuclear weapons and think that you should just hate anyone who doesn't because your dad says so. Like, Labour MPs are going around, they're like, well, the average voter is too stupid to make up their own mind without consulting their father, whether they're nine years old or 40 years old. So, uh, yeah, this adds up to me. Yeah, I think it's fucking hilarious that she lost an argument to the little girl equivalents of those ham-faced nuke men from the election question time special. (laughs) I just, the whole thing, you would have thought the day after the hung parliament, every MP involved in this documentary would have woken up with one shit. But they didn't. <laughs> Who was the biggest casualty from the documentary, oh, do you think? Stephen Kinnock. Well, yes. Without yes, that, that, that man's career is over. Probably don't want that on at all, do you? I haven't managed to have my caffeine hit this morning, so uh, can we just stop off at Tesco's on the way? I need the kickstart. After approaching MPs from across the party, Stephen Kinnock was one of the few who agreed to let me follow them. Stephen, the MP for Aberavon, is part of a political dynasty. I was born in Tredegar and, and then we moved to London, and, but came back to Wales a lot because Dad was an MP, of course. I've always felt that I would come back, you know. I'm re-watching the documentary in mute on my TV as we record, and it just uh, showed a clip of Neil Kinnock back in the day and said, Stephen's father, Neil, was one of the most important modernisers in Labour's history. So that's clearly the place we're coming from, where um, the Neil Kinnock project of moving Labour to the right, scabbing on the miners, betraying the people of the world who may not want to be nuked one day, um, (laughs) you know, that was a necessary modernisation 
and that's why Blair and Brown supported him over Roy Hattersley because you know even as died in the wall right wingers they didn't vote for the old right candidate because they wanted modernization and that's the idea of this documentary that Corbyn is dragging Labour back into the old days of a, a you know a Maoist cult that just happens to consist of 42% of the population. There's a beautiful part in the documentary when they're filming the hung parliament reactions which really just showed like how out of touch Lucy Powell and Stephen Kinnock was because Lucy Powell goes Ooh, that's a hung parliament. That's a hung parliament. Has <laughs> he lost any seats? I'm like, well, it's just a hung parliament, darling. From a majority, it kind of means she has. It's literally how you would get a hung parliament. Yeah. And then you've got the other one, Neil Kinnock going, oh, she'll have to go. And they're both going, oh, she'll have to go. She'll be gone. She'll be gone. She's still here. Yeah, Neither by morning. Of you had any idea how this was going to work. Like, were you so stupid to think that after all the bad mouthing of Corbyn, that like, yeah, Theresa May was just going to magically resign the next day? Yeah. And everyone was just going to let Jeremy Corbyn become the next prime minister. Like, are you kidding me? Come on. She didn't even acknowledge in her speech after she got back in that <laughs> she, she lost her majority. The fact that she did not win that election. The funny <laughs> thing is that, you know, you get all of these Blairite, bitter Blairites, as I like to call them. The bitterites, as John Bit- Prescott calls them. The bitterites. Them. <laughs> who go on about, oh, why was Matt Zob celebrating when Labour didn't win the election? Mate, it's a hung parliament. Nobody won the fucking election. Yeah. It's a coalition, which means by fault. It's like there's no extra time in elect- on election night. Like this is like a game that finished 1-1 after full time. There is no extra time for a winner to be announced. OK, you just find whoever can make up the numbers. But that doesn't mean you've won it. Making up the numbers to form a government doesn't mean you've won the election. The election and the forming of the government are two completely separate fucking things. Exactly. And I think it's probably true that for a lot of people like, say, the director of this documentary, Stephen Kinnock, Lucy Powell, the um, the exit poll coming out was a massive watershed moment that did entirely uproot their political world. However... The film gets it wrong because there had been this sea change in politics for quite a while before that exit poll came out. The signs were evident. Polls did keep showing Labour narrowing the gap quite considerably for, what was it, a few weeks before this happened. You could feel the sense of hope. You could see how much better Corbyn was performing in all the public appearances than Theresa May was. You could see how much more Labour's policies resonated with everybody than the Tories ones and in this documentary they make basically make it seem that everyone just thought it was fucking miserable you know right by the end like admittedly i didn't see the uh, hung parliament coming I, I you know because for two years it had just been drilled into me that we were going to lose this election big time you know even as a hardline corbynite but i did expect that theresa may wouldn't do considerably better than the tories currently were doing it was pretty clear that the election was swinging in corbyn's favor and against may's for weeks and all you had to do was just watch carefully and not get your takes on internal labor politics from steve 
Stephen Kinnock and Ruth fucking Cadbury. I, I, I think this election, and it was really funny because I, I remember watching it back and I remember the anxiety I was feeling on the day of the election. But that entire campaign was actually one of the happiest times of 2017. It was really strange, which you don't usually get in an election of, of such importance either, where mm. you actually you have fond memories of campaigning times and watching speeches and debates and being able to pick out, oh, this was this debate and this was when Corbyn did this and this is when, you know, Momentum did that and this was just before the chance started happening and all of that going on. Mm. But I don't blame all of them for thinking that it was going to be some kind of Theresa May landslide, which is what Stephen Kinnock thought. Stephen Kinnock was like convinced it was going to be a landslide and in his mendacious way <laughs> the whole of the beginning of the documentary setting it up as if Corbyn was responsible for the last seven years of Labour failure. Yeah. He literally says to the camera if you're a party who have failed for seven years to win power you have to ask yourself some big questions and Jeremy will have to have a long hard look in the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> I've always had the politics bug. I've always wanted to do what I'm doing now. But also, I, yeah, it is also to do with, you know, my family, and there is that element of uh, wanting to make them proud. Stephen seems to be continuing his dad's fight, and the impending election defeat should at least kill off Corbyn. It looks at the moment like um, the 8th of June is not going to be a good night for us. If, if a party fails after seven years in opposition to make good forward progress at an election, then the leader has to take responsibility for that. And, you know, on the 9th of June, Jeremy's going to have to take a long look in the mirror and decide, and, you know, it is, it is a... Uh, it'll be a it'll be a tough personal choice for him, I'm sure. Um, you know that that's something which only Jeremy can do, and only Jeremy should should consider and reflect on. I'm not even been in charge of the party for two years yet. Where are you getting the seven years from? Why is he now responsible for Ed Miliband as well? I don't really... <laughs> well, Corbyn did Miliband. As you know, Ed Miliband's decision not to back an intervention in Syria in 2013 was entirely provoked <coughs> by the lobbying of the powerful Stop the War Coalition, led by Jeremy Corbyn, who constantly had the ear of Ed Miliband when he was leader. <laughs> so, you know, you've got this... You've just got this absurd narrative that they had convinced themselves and of course if the politicians have convinced themselves of this narrative then the people who rely on politicians for anything are also going to be convinced of this narrative so you had the people who are supposed to report current affairs being fed by the people who are supposed to who <laughs> change current affairs <laughs> feeding each other this warped alternate reality of what's actually happening so they yeah. decided the reasons for the brexit vote irrespective of the reality of the Brexit vote, they decided the, the flaws of the Labour Party, irrespective of the actual flaws of the Labour Party, and they decided Corbyn's flaws, yeah. irrespective of his actual flaws. And the culmination of all of this refusal to engage with reality was this hung parliament that none of them saw coming, because... What they also did to the Conservatives' detriment was that the Conservatives bought into this narrative that, you know, centrist journalists and Labour politicians had created, and they completely bought into it to the point where they thought, oh, fuck it, let's just have a snap election. 
will be fine. We can, we can stow this shit up for years and years and years. I mean, this documentary is really like, they should put it on syllabuses as a perfect <laughs> in hubris. He's a fucking idiot who basically thought they knew everything, then found out they knew nothing, and then decided to pretend they always knew what they never knew. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Seven months after the election, or however many months we are now, they're still doing the same yeah. bullshit. They are literally back on their bullshit. It's like <laughs> nothing changed. I've clocked all the kind of mainstream journalism about Corbyn bingo. So you've had a shot of Seamus Milne, Shady yeah, Seamus. looking quite sneaky, yeah. yeah. Skulking around. You've had all the talk about inside the Corbyn cult. It's more like a religious revival out here it's like it's because he's in a heavily black area and they've got a gospel choir mate that's why it feels like a, a religious revival because they're consciously emulating that there was a shot in there you know his final rally he did in islington and it's from yeah. the very back of the hall and it's kind of shot in a really kind of low angle i don't know about you but that sort of rubbed me up the wrong way a little bit in the way like you know the the the, the nazi propaganda filmmaker lenny reffens is that how you say it? Lenny Riefenstahl? Lenny, Lenny Riefenstahl, great director. <laughs> <laughs> Who directed Triumph of the Will. <laughs> There's a shot, the, that shot of that final kind of, and everyone is sort of standing up and the way Corbyn was putting his hand up was like, that shot, he's decided to do that shot for a reason. It was just yeah, like, there were a lot of this is... shots in there. I mean, yes. but they do it even in print. Like, they always choose shots where he's got a hand up and it's like, you're not really fucking subtle. Yeah. Here. We know what you're Yeah, exactly. To do. It's pretty <laughs> disgusting. Stop it. You know, you can't go on and on and on about anti-Semitism and then start trying to subtly put in Hitler references here, there and everywhere. What the fuck is <laughs> I know. I know what would make Jewish people feel safer. <laughs> if we specifically set out to make them scared of this guy. <laughs> it's the thing that infuriates me the most. It's like, if you're going to pretend that you care about people, don't put the fear of God in them, for God's sake. I, I, I tell you what I fucking loved in this documentary all the shots of Corbyn's old shadow cabinet prior to the coup. Yeah. You just get to see, it's just full of these, like, old, clapped, right-wing wankers. But there was absolutely the, lined with them. There was the shot from the Vice documentary, isn't it, when they're going around the shadow and they're taking the picture and you know, you've got Corbyn smiling and everyone else has got that really awkward, I don't want to be here smile. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, genuinely, like hardly any right-wingers from those shots are like still in there like tom watson john ashworth like a couple of others i, <laughs> so I, I, was watch, I watched a documentary with my family and the only thing i could think of was just watching that and like everything after the election like all the way up to conference and just remembering that a year ago at conference tom watson was basically hoping against all hope that owen 29 inch penis Smith was going to erase Corbyn from his memory and yeah. then 12 months later Tom Watson stood on stage at Labour conference and started a chant of oh Jeremy Corbyn absolutely <laughs> fucking shameless absolutely shameless and one of the most surreal moments of my political life happened to me late at night in a field surrounded by people much younger and far more stylish than me I realised something as the crowd at Glastonbury's silent disco began to sing 
Oh, Jeremy Corbyn. Oh, Jeremy Corbyn. Oh, Jeremy Corbyn. Sorry, Jeremy. <laughs> but as they sang, I realised it's actually better to be loved than to be feared. And Jeremy has shown us that it's possible. Thank you, Jeremy. I'm gutted I never get to see the Tom Watson-led coup against Owen Smith that would inevitably have happened in about a year. <laughs> I, I would have one. But I thought, I thought yeah. at the conference it did, it did highlight, although I thought it was, it, was, it was quite funny how Lucy Powell basically threw a strop about Labour members sitting in conference so that she had to stand and she oh, just yeah. <laughs> Over in the main conference, Momentum are also setting the agenda. Of the 1,100 delegates, more than 800 are members or supporters. MPs like Lucy Powell are being marginalised and are having to jostle for a seat in the hall. It seems Corbyn's former opponents aren't really wanted here. Momentum are asserting their influence at every level of the party. Oh, did, did you hear her? She, she's like, Where did they from? she's like, you know, there's all these people. They're turning up to our meetings now. They've never been to meetings before. Yeah. They're having the temerity to get involved in a political party for the first time in their all, lives. Yeah, it's all these horrifying. new young people. Oh, it's what we don't <laughs> and, want in Labour. And she's like, they come with some kind of guide to party democracy which they're not supposed to engage in that's for me she says that they've been given like documents on how to deselect your local mp and stuff <laughs> we just had a series of, of agms in, in my constituency at a ward level and in some wards we've had groups of people turning up um, who've never been to a single meeting before and have come along with a sort of training manual from Momentum about how to oust local committed community activists. And I just find that, you know, weird and horrifying, actually. <laughs> it's just fucking Chris Williamson, like, single-handedly, like, handing out the little <laughs> David Oslin pamphlet about deselecting your MP that came out last year, just like, <laughs> Chris Williamson, the MP CIA. for de... Yeah, <laughs> wait, no, wait, what? Chris Williamson is the MP for Deselection Central, I don't think he's CIA. No, 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 he, no. he could be also be handing out the pamphlet CIA Infiltration <laughs> in the Labour Party. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great profile pic. There was a good part in the documentary where they're in the um, <clears throat> in the Welsh House where they're all arguing about the campaign and whether Labour have a chance. And you've got the woman who says if the MPs had just swallowed their pride and got behind Corbyn, we wouldn't be in this situation. And and you know she was bang on, but also speaking for if all they of had us, actually done that. If they had done that, there wouldn't have been a snap election. We may have had a better chance with the referendum as well. There's so many, it's like hindsight's a beautiful thing, but I really hope, I sincerely hope that 
anyone with more than three functioning brain cells would have watched that documentary and said, okay, so all the people we thought knew what the, what was happening actually don't have a fucking clue. So <laughs> yeah. forward, we're going to maybe stop listening to these pricks and yeah. not to those cunts over there. <laughs> Apparently, uh. that was clear to everybody except for the general media and natural politicians <laughs> it's all right now we have this document now that will always be there up on youtube just to remind ourselves that these people are fucking inept sarah, sarah champion kind of just nailing uh, when the whole sun thing broke yeah i did wonder whether she'd been set up by the sun when she decided to double down i just thought okay you're a fucking weird but yeah, she's for watch real. it play <laughs> out on video is actually a lot more nasty than i remember it because she's not just unrepentant she truly cannot see yeah. why people are annoyed with what she said even though yeah. she's fully aware of what she did she was fully aware that she went to a provocative newspaper that is inflammatory that incites hatred and she was fully aware that the language she was using was provocative and she chose it specifically so that that audience would listen to her and she still doesn't understand how that was problematic. And that, for yeah. me, is a lot worse than, you know, just saying, oh, there's nothing wrong with what I said because she's actually justifying deliberately doing it. She, yeah, she, she, yeah. she deliberately said what she said. Yeah, she thought the real issue there was, <laughs> that, it was, it was that it was criminal that she is being like, dictated to on what papers are all right to write for and not it's just as you say it needs to be how can you not see that it's inappropriate to write for a newspaper like the sun that has always been an enemy of you know the labor movement and as but, just and is and, and just in wider gen, and just in general just like i mean like literally making up and spreading lies about hillsborough and you know just it isn't just about the medium that her article came out it really is a, about the substance of what she said and the fact that what she wrote in The Sun was entirely in line with any other racist shit that The Sun publishes yeah. on a daily basis. Yeah. And, and, she, and she, she deliberately wrote it to be like that. I mean, she literally says that she would only go on, I think it was Radio 4, if they allowed yeah. her to say that it's Pakistani men that are raping all the girls. And I was sitting there going, did you really just say that on camera like you really just committed that sentence to video for all time yeah she signed it off yeah she signed it off to the sun she was completely are you happy. all right are you feeling yeah. okay today sarah hey she gave us an excuse to get dawn butler back in my shadow cabinet so <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, like for me her role in this documentary is actually very revealing because there's a point during the election campaign where they're interviewing her and i think she's in the back of a cab and you yeah. can not really on board with Corbyn, but she's like trying to, you know, she's playing that role of, oh, I'm just trying to be an ally and, and work with what we've got and blah, blah, blah. But also yeah. she fully admits how she's loving all the intention that she gets and that people come up to her and they ask for selfies and that never happened before Corbyn and that it's easy to fall into it and blah, blah, blah. And she never connects that she could have that adoration for herself if she just kind of had some actual principles she never yeah. she never connects the two she kind of sees them as completely separate she thinks that oh people only like corbyn because he's like fresh rather yeah. than the politics and then well, she, she she loves the limelight but she doesn't realize that the limelight comes from the principles 
So for her, Sorry. it's a massive shock when people turn based on what she said in the sun because she's assumed because she gets on with Corbyn then she can say what she wants and because she's a Corbyn ally people aren't going to call for her head or ask for her to go. That was her massive miscalculation of what the movement that's happening in, in Labour is. It's not about Corbyn. Like, despite what the media and what they have convinced themselves, this movement, this kind of energy is not necessarily about Jeremy Corbyn the man. It's about the principles behind the man. Yeah, and that was what was very sad and tragic, as we like to say, about the Sarah Champion portions of this documentary, was that she did actually come off very well in the election campaign. She was one of the most reliable live and media performers in terms of going out there and actually getting across the policies in the manifesto. But she's ruined that now because we we see her early on in the documentary unwilling to praise Corbyn to the interviewer, unwilling to praise Corbyn when arranging another interview with the Labour press team. She's saying, oh, I don't know if I can go on TV and say all this nice stuff about Jeremy, basically. Then, <laughs> And then we see the way she handled the whole sun shitstorm. And we see that she was not magnanimous in disgrace. She didn't appear to resign on her own volition, as the Labour leadership very charitably allowed the impression to be established at the time. It seems pretty clear that she was called by Corbyn, who demanded her resignation. So she was in effect sacked, as her defenders, such as Jess Phillips, said in the wake of her leaving the Shadow Cabinet. So I come out of this respecting Corbyn more. <laughs> the things she wrote were indefensible. The fact that she seems to sincerely hold these beliefs is also indefensible. It was when the Shadow Equalities Minister wrote an article for The Sun that she found herself in real trouble. Yes, I know that The Sun uses nasty racist language and I knew that being in that paper, it, it was gonna, it wasn't going to be put in the nuanced way that I hoped it would, but I needed to reach a Sun audience because a Sun audience used to be a Labour audience. The outrage from Labour supporters was almost immediate. People were saying that I was a racist um, and really pissed off that I'd written it in the Sun, which was seen to be incredibly disloyal to the Labour Party. I was, you know, naive, uh, maybe stupid to not think that writing in the Sun would have such a strong impact on people. At three o'clock on the Wednesday, um, I got a phone call from the leader's office uh, saying that um, they'd spoken to Jeremy and, and he now thought it was time to accept my resignation. Um, which I went, okay, please may I write my resignation letter then? And they're like, yeah, we've got to get out right now. Mr. Corbyn. Mr. Corbyn. Thank you so much. Mr. Corbyn. Hi, how are you doing? Very well, thanks, sir. Sarah Champion, uh, you backed her on Friday, you effectively sacked her yesterday, what changed? She's resigned because but she doesn't she, want... She, she, she would have sacked her though, wouldn't Michael, you? can we go to the old-fashioned way? If you ask the question, I give you the answer. I was trying to have a grown-up discussion about something and all the discussion had turned to was, um, was Sarah right to write in the sun? And I find it quite unpalatable that if you are a politician of one party or another, there are papers that you can or can't write in, uh, drawn up on political lines. Um, I, I find that quite a chilling concept. 
I like the way that she put the fact that she'd been sacked, where she was like, um, yeah, he's going to accept my resignation. It's like, not think that maybe you should consider your position, just resign. We're, we're asking yeah. you to resign. <laughs> so that yeah. we don't have to sack you. Yeah. Uh, that's the thing, isn't it? Your resignation, you should probably start writing it now. Yeah. <laughs> that's literally the first scene in the first episode of The Thick of It. Yeah. Malcolm Tucker comes into some uh, shitty MP's office and he starts very convivial and very calm and friendly. And then he just sort of says, you know, oh, things are getting bad in the media. You know, it's obvious it's all bullshit. And the guy's like, yeah, it's total bullshit. And Malcolm's like, well, actually, it's pretty serious. And then he's like, um, and, and then he basically just kind of starts saying, you know, have you thought about resigning, maybe? And the guy's like, nah. And Malcolm's like, let me rephrase this. Uh, I, I, you're you're going to resign now. And he <laughs> hands him the resignation letter he's already written. And it seems pretty much <laughs> that not to be like so many British political aficionados as much as I <laughs> hesitate to put myself in that bracket and uh, just be living inside an episode of a thick of it. It does seem like that's what happened to Sarah Champion. It is possible to have a good resignation, you know? A good resignation? Oh, I'm looking forward to how you're going to sell this to me. Look, people really like it when you go just a bit early. You know, steely-jawed, far away look in your eyes. Before they're getting to the point where they're sitting around in the pub saying, oh, that fucker's got to go, you surprise them! There were times in this documentary where I, I know it was supposed to be serious, but I was waiting for the Curb Your Enthusiasm music to kick in. <laughs> yes. It was just... On multiple occasions. I'm just on the, well, one of them told my dad he wants to take away the nuclear weapons scene. <laughs> Wait, no, no, my dad told me one of them. So it's either Theresa May or Jeremy Corbyn, yeah? I want Theresa Do you? My dad does. Really? Your mum and dad want Theresa May? Well, I want, I want the other one. I want Jeremy Corbyn. Well, someone told my dad that one of them wanted to get rid of the nuclear weapons. Oh, I see. Right, OK. So we're not voting for him. OK. Well, you let them know that I was I was in the area anyway. All right. Okay. Nice to meet you. Did you? Calling day. Stephen Kinnock is unveiling his secret weapon. Oh my God! It's the megaphone that he blares. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow out of his phone on, isn't it? <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking the optics of that. You've got a London double decker bus in hills. Mm. On a rainy day, playing Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'd just like to point out, all the posters, like, all, all the propaganda that Kinnock has got in the windows of this bus, just say Stephen Kinnock. He's running a purely personality-focused campaign, which is a shame, because Stephen Kinnock doesn't have a personality. For polling day, Stephen Kinnock is unveiling his secret weapon. Stephen Kinnock weapon. Fantastic. <laughs> this is going straight to number 10. Straight to number 10. <laughs> Have a smile. Ding, ding. All aboard for a Labour victory. Just make sure you're not running off. That would not be a good look, would it? Hello all. Have you voted? Good stuff. All aboard for a Labour victory. Shout yeah. out to the canvasser for Stephen Kinnock, who said that they were enthused by Stephen Kinnock and also a fan of Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. <laughs> I said, 
Nobody has ever been enthused by Stephen Kinnock. <laughs> yeah. What is he I, on? She is the real centre-centrist. <laughs> yeah. The true north of the Labour Party, is that one? <laughs> <laughs> did, did you both enjoy the father and son moment when uh, Kinnock Senior and Kinnock Junior are walking back to the count centre as the exit poll's been announced and they're going to the count centre and uh, Neil Kinnock goes to Stephen... Well, it's still very perplexing, Steve. And there's just a bit of a silence for a moment. And then Stephen Kinnock goes, yep. And there's nothing else. Well, it's still very perplexing, Steve. Yep. Well, it's uh, reasonable and it's obviously, you know, it's a lot of common sense mainstream labour policies in the manifesto. Yeah. Hi. Hi, guys. All right. All right. Cheers. Okay. They're just like, well, I personally hate left-wing politics. I can't understand why anybody else would support left-wing politics. So I'm very, very confused by this. Then he he mentions the uh, quote-unquote common sense Labour policies in the manifesto, which, of course, wouldn't have been in there if Jeremy Corbyn wasn't leader (laughs) of the Labour Party. My favourite part is that Neil Kinnock, who's supposed to be like this kind of political grandee, this kind of old pan that's supposed to be like a a massive weapon in favour of Stephen Kinnock, just letting his son pick up interviews left, right and centre, where he's literally <laughs> about to get stitched up, and then he even gets to his wife to go, why are you doing this? To his <laughs> wife. <laughs> she uh, fucking owns him. She's just like, you don't says, know anything. She says, she says, what are you doing? And she goes, uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's incredible, you can't. Oh my God, this man is Fucking stupid. As one of Corbyn's arch critics, the assembled media at the count are keen for his response to the exit poll. Where should we go then? Through here. Just do a quick look at BBC Wales. Sure. After you've done this little bit, would you mind just giving us a minute or two? Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right, no problem. Yeah, we'll do. Yeah, okay, I might as well. Stephen's typically keen to oblige, but Denmark's ex-Prime Minister smells danger. About this. No, no, you can just say top line. Oh. Yeah. It looks like the turnout is up here. Maybe right. that's the case where we were. I'm hoping lots of young people come out to vote. Yeah. I'm hoping that we can get a new chance for me. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And we've got yeah. a positive campaign. Just keep it to the campaign. Nothing. But what about you thought? Yeah, we would say what's in that. Hmm. I actually did yell out at one point when watching it. Ah, you stupid fuck! You stupid, stupid fuck! It, during one of the Stephen it, Kinnock that, scenes. That whole interview part was painful. Yeah. It was I, 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 painful. I love painful because you've got your wife sitting there putting two and two together. And even after your interview, it still hasn't actually clicked in. You're literally just doing what your wife told you to do. Yeah. Which makes me think the only reason you're in politics is probably because your dad told you to go into politics. So it's like, have you ever had an independent thought, Stephen? 
Yeah. Stephen Kinnock, more like Stephen Kin cucked by his entire family. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> oh, sorry. I'm sorry about your cough, dude. Um, as our friends on the uh, We Don't Talk About the Weather podcast pointed out, the narrator says in the course of this documentary that Stephen Kinnock's wife just happens to be a former Danish prime minister. It's like, she doesn't just happen to be. He's the scion of a fucking international political dynasty and where you know his parents <coughs> both held high-ranking positions in the and eu dynasty where the wives of the of the men have had much better jobs yeah. <laughs> my favorite connect moment was when they for absolutely no reason because it was absolutely not necessary for this documentary but they decided to put in the old um the connect brighton beach footage yeah. And I watched it about 16 times. I really want to make gifts out of it because it's so beautiful. Neil Kinnock falling into the sea, drowning. Neil Kinnock falling into the sea, drowning. Labour in the raw. Hard left extremist infiltrators who despise Britain's values and talk down our country. I don't know what's funnier. Is is it when Gladys realises that her boots are about to get wet and she starts racing out of the water whilst Neil is trying to do this lovey-dovey, oh, come here, darling, thing coming into the water. And when he starts tumbling down, or the way he jumps back up and then turns to the camera and puts his hands up in this very Monty Python kind of exasperated shrug, and it's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, make it stop. And at the end he goes, I'm going to appeal to your better nature. Yeah, that's it. What better nature? Stephen Kinnock blames that on his mum. He's like, yeah, yeah, my mum didn't want to get her fucking shoes wet or something. (laughs) To be fair to him, I didn't read that in the way everybody else did because he does say if it's a choice between my suede boots and my husband's political career, his mum chose her suede boots. And (laughs) that is a decision I can get behind. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, fuck Neil Kinnock's political career. I'm sure they were great boots. (laughs) In many ways, maybe Gladys Kinnock was the dark knight of the 1980s because if she hadn't chosen her boots over then maybe we would have ended up with a clinic as prime minister oh god or or a more positive spin on that could be that she's the kind of proto eric joyce in the same way that he by decking a couple of tories and cops in a bar when he was pissed inadvertently paved the way for corbyn you could suggest that she also paved the way for a left-wing takeover of the labor party by pushing her husband in the sea. Because it's the hero Labour deserves but not the one it needs right now. So we'll hunt him. Kinnock and Joyce, undercover agents. <laughs> did Kinnock fight some member of militant at a conference in the toilet once? Like, yeah. didn't, didn't you talk about that on fucking, uh, like, is that one of the, the Labour documentaries from, uh, like, yeah, the wilderness, wilderness years? years. Yeah, he, he beat the shit out of some trot who started on him in the toilets. <laughs> Although the guy has never come forward, so we are, we've only really got Kinnock's side of the story. A moment from a documentary I really, really loved was when Ruth Cadbury is canvassing out on polling day. And she's seeing all these like young people there who she doesn't know. And she's like, oh, who, who are you then? Where are you from? And they're all like, oh, from Hackney North and Stoke Newington. And they're people who've come from other constituencies to canvass for her. 
obviously from momentum. Yeah. And you I know, mention of that either, is it? Th- this is from people who have just been shitting themselves about momentum for two <clears> years because it's never occurred to them. How about I canvas with momentum and don't slag them off in the media? And then they won't try and deselect me. Like, that's never occurred to them. It's like, I've got to make sure my conduct is consistently as appalling and treacherous and fucking reactionary as possible. And these people have just got to show supreme patience and tolerance. That kind of is indicative of a way that this documentary kind of didn't really realise that momentum is an actual thing other than like a couple of guys <coughs> calling you a melt on Twitter until the exit poll result came in and then in the last part of the film they hurriedly try and compensate for that by uh, going to momentum offices and stuff and trying to find out what actually resulted in all these increased majorities for MPs like Ruth Cadbury and Stephen Kinnock who don't really have anything going for them. Yeah, but even in in doing that, they did it in such a hackneyed way because they still don't really understand what momentum is or how momentum kind of operates. And so by the time they did realise that the story was actually always with momentum, they didn't know how to tell the story because they didn't know anything about momentum besides what they have concocted in their minds from this alternate reality that they were now having to reconcile with this hung parliament result. And so when they did go into momentum... They only briefly touched on like the making of the app to canvas and the fact that they were going out to people's constituencies. And and then, of course, true to nature, true to form and to show that even the documentary makers have learned nothing from what they have actually just spent months filming. They still went over to the whole, you know, entry is they're taking over the CLP, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it's like if you keep making these same mistakes you're never going to understand where the story is because the story is not the fact that people from momentum are being nominated into clps the story is the fact that in the last two years the labor party has added something like four hundred thousand people to the party yeah. and those people want to be heard and people aren't just aren't content anymore to have someone who writes a column in a newspaper or someone who presents the news or hosts a podcast to tell them their politics <laughs> those pricks they want the people who complement the politics that they're already holding. It's like yeah. a complete reversal of power. And I think that's the struggle for all of these various things that we see from the documentary maker not knowing where the story is to the politicians not seeing the hung parliament to the polls getting everything wrong is that the normal model for politics, which is the kind of trickle down of knowledge, is no longer applicable to UK society in 2017. And they don't know what to do because if the power is now coming from up, then they have to fall down. Yeah, They have to fall down and they, they don't want to fall down and they will cling. So in a lot of ways, the British media are kind of like Robert Mugabe in his fight. <laughs> <laughs> many, many ways. Oh, Blood yeah. on their fucking I hands. Have it. I have been building that comparison in my head for 20 minutes. <laughs> in my and I had to it get it out there brilliant. before my voice gave up. <laughs> What I thought was great was the scene right at the end where they asked Stephen Kinnock, do you think you need each other? Do you think this is a symbiotic relationship between the Parliamentary Labour Party and Momentum? And Stephen Kinnock kind of says in his, no point trying to do a Welsh accent because he's clearly spent spent most of his life in London. He's kind of like, well, I think I do need them, yes. 
I just hope they need me. Like, <laughs> so he says, I need them and they need me and all that. Yeah, like, they fucking do not. Like, <laughs> having grown up and your entire sort of political philosophy being formed around a particular view of the party and suddenly everything's been turned on its head. I wonder whether actually you must feel very disorientated by what's going on. It, it definitely. I mean, on election night, and I'm you sure you're. Yeah. Oh, yeah. On election well, night. no, that was, that was uh, one of the most um, sort of uh, topsy turvy things that I've experienced. My my wife Hella's favourite phrase in the world is, "What doesn't kill you makes you stronger." And I absolutely sign up to that one. Um, and and that's that's what life is about. You know, you you you, you get knocked back, you dust yourself up, you you pick yourself up, and you keep going. Labour is ready, ready to rebuild our national health service. Ready. I'm like so much older than these young people coming into Momentum. Those young guys, they need me and I need them. And if we can make that work, uh, then that's a, that's a fantastic opportunity for the party. That's the magic of a political movement, if it, you can bring those two things together. But if those two things diverge, we're lost. So you can sit here and say, we need them, they need me. Would they say that they need you? I hope so. I really hope so. Um... But the hilarious thing is, you get in the course of this documentary to see what fucking ideologues people like the Kinnock family are. Like, nobody had heard of Stephen Kinnock before 2015. He has only been in Parliament for two years. Only a couple of months after he got into Parliament, before there was time for anyone to hear about him, a left-wing leadership assumed control of the Labour Party. Stephen has had two years as an unknown quantity in politics to triangulate leftwards. But he can't, can he? Because that's not what he believes in. And uh, he, he, he will... believe he... anything. Stephen Kinnock is a prototype. He is someone that you can impart what you want into he is a vehicle in many ways yeah. Stephen Kinnock is like Grace Mugabe like you know, <laughs> <laughs> he everyone's a Mugabe he was there to you be get a, a Mugabe you get a Mugabe another go wait a second everybody here I'm gonna get an Oprah you know what that means you get a fur you get a fur you get a jet you get a jet big booty bitch for you have another go at influence to position him to kind of one day take over the party you know so you've yeah. got this kind of son of the man who saved labor from the left in parliament criticizing the left blah 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 and the whole thing the reason that kenneth was in this was to position him for a future leadership run basically as kind of like you know the son of the man who saved labor before coming back to save labor again kind of yeah. position but there's nothing on paper to show anything that stephen kinnock believes in this is a man who went yeah. from claiming that he wanted to remain to arguing basically the uk line on immigration the vici line i believe oh like, yeah it was it was all family fatherland work you know <laughs> <laughs> how long do you reckon it'll be before uh, stephen kinnock like throws in the towel and doesn't stand like for another election because uh, like, well, he's, you know, he's going to realize eventually that he's not going to make any inroads he's not really going to be getting anywhere so he's going to i think you know, if he hasn't watched this documentary he surely has to realize that his political career yeah. in terms of climbing is done they have yeah. chopped yeah. the ladder off 
they've completely chopped it. He has the bottom two rungs. That is it. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, I guess as the scion of a political dynasty, talking, of course, about the Putin dynasty... does have this colossal sense of entitlement and uh, you know of determination but one day the Labour membership will see sense and elect a Hegesian moderate sensible centrist as leader so you know who knows maybe he will try and sit out the next parliament and just hope that Labour lose the next election (laughs) even if and it's a very big if even if people were to forget this documentary the second he runs it's all going to come out again. This oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think the, left Twitter are ever going to let him forget. absolutely no way for him to go high in the party anymore. It is yeah. dead in the water for him. He will do a Kezia Dugdale and end up on I'm a Celebrity to try and salvage some form of <laughs> Did um, you like the bit at the end of the documentary when they're showing all the various MPs who've been, quote, marginalised and they're all just sort of standing at the sides just <laughs> looking really Sideline moderate voices. To tighten their control, to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that is the nature of the hard left. Yeah, well, yeah. If I was one of those MPs and I watched that and I watched all of that enthusiasm that was coming into the conference and then cut to my sour face standing at the back sulking because people are sitting down and people aren't like treating us like Jesus is triumphant entrance into Jerusalem or whatever. <laughs> I would ask myself some questions like, is it actually maybe time for me to get out of this and do something else and try and salvage what very little is left of my dignity um, <laughs> in terms of public perception? And plenty of MPs have, although without the dignity bit. Yeah, public perception but, but they don't have any dignity because these people have no self-awareness. If they had self-awareness, none of them would have agreed to do this documentary in the <laughs> fucking first place. Well, I mean, if they, if they had self-awareness, none of them would have fucking entered politics in the first place. None of them would have fucking unlocked their Twitter accounts. None of none of these fuckers would have uh, would have dared to express their stupid, clapped, centrist politics in public. <laughs> I find it especially hilarious that Lucy Powell was apparently plotting a leadership challenge uh, throughout the duration oh, wow. of this documentary, in addition to the Chukaramuna and the Yvette Cooper and the possibly the Stephen Kinnock leadership campaign. Lucy Powell wanted a leadership election. I think Lucy Powell, for her, was a loss of influence. For her, it was always about... She had no influence in the Corbyn circle whatsoever. I'm just going by what I've heard. Like, I was told that she was plotting, throwing her hat in the ring herself. And she's even more delusional than I thought yeah, she was. Yeah, and she comes off as colossally unprepared. I mean, for me, it came across that she came across as someone who was kind of mourning the loss of influence. Like, she yeah, be quite powerful quote-unquote powerful in in the party and now was not in that position of influence and power anymore and was kind of reminiscing about trying to get back to a place where she could have that kind of influence and and frame the subject and the direction of the party as she did and that was her battle with the party was about that really and then it was kind of manifested in Corbyn Whereas with Sarah Champion, it was about, well, you know, I'm trying to not get swallowed up here because a lot of shitty things are happening at the same time. And I don't have anything against Corbyn, but I don't want to go against all of my other colleagues. And then she just, you know, went full racist. And then you have, you know, you have old slaphead there just saying whatever his dad told him to say in the morning or his wife told him to say in the afternoon. So I never really saw Lucy Powell trying to position herself for a leadership bid. And if, if that's what people are saying behind the scenes, then... 
she really, 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 really needs to get some people around her who can tell her the truth. Because... Yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe it's just more fake news from a real politic team. Uh, you never me, know. From me and Dickie Angel's new project. But <laughs> <laughs> you guys may be familiar with an independent journalist called Tom Peck, who I have in the past referred to as Tom Prick. I'm not totally a fan of his. The because joke's there, uh, you have to take it. Yeah, he did say at one point that he has no friends who are Corbynistas because none of them are <laughs> stupid enough, but he does oh, have friends lovely. in UKIP and Britain first. However, you can hear this enormous kind of mechanical creak coming from Fleet Street, wherever you are <laughs> in the country, as Tom Peck triangulates to the left. So let's just read a little bit of his article... Labour documentary. Hang on. Are the centrists the idiots? <laughs> I'm just going to bring some breaking news now. So, just a, a tiny... Yeah, so he, he quotes Stephen Kinnock's bit about Jeremy Corbyn having a look in the mirror. And obviously Corbyn, the next day, he must have looked in the mirror, to, you know, trim his beard and that, just looked out there and be like, that is one fucking good-looking fella right there. <laughs> <laughs> So Tom Peck writes, You may or may not recall that history never quite forced Jeremy to take that soul-searching stare at his own reflection. Indeed, in scenes reminiscent of a classic Mitchell and Webb sketch in which two soldiers stationed in a lookout post take sudden heed of the skulls on our badges and wonder, Are we the baddies? <laughs> so this documentary should but probably won't, force grave reflection on Labour's moderate, self-superior forces. It becomes all the more enjoyable to watch once you correctly identify Kinnock as a kind of political Matt Dawson. Absolutely <laughs> unsure of anything at all, beyond a dimly concealed hunch that he is probably quite a bit of a legend. <laughs> One never knows what's been left on the cutting room floor, but at no point in this documentary that could just as easily have been called How Wrong Can One Man Be? Does Kinnock appear capable of even considering the notion he might have been hopelessly wrong about everything? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Tom Peck is woke. <laughs> maybe, just maybe. I'm sure he'll throw that out the window soon enough. You'll be shocked to find out that he had blocks built. Oh, oh more like Tom Very sad. I think Very I think I think I just said to him that he's not funny like one too many times because ah, he writes articles like that all the time. Literally, the last two years, that was the first one that was like moderately funny. Moderately funny. <laughs> moderately uh, funny. Just uh, because uh, it was hard to not write a funny article about such an absolute hilarious thing. I mean, if documentaries could be entered for best picture then the Labour summer documentary would be winning at this year's elections. In fact, it's not too late to start campaigning. They should probably just push it out there. <laughs> just enter it for best documentary. See where it goes. You never know. <laughs> it's, it's, so, it's so good. Best piece of original screenplay that I have seen in a while. <laughs> Kinnock and the other right-wing MPs in this must come off so transparently badly if even melts like Tom Peck are watching this and thinking these people are fucking jokes. <laughs> like, 
this is so good. It's 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 a great movie. It's a fucking great movie. I mean, I think Stephen Kinnock is the one who had the most damage done. Oh yeah, because there's that shot of him. Yeah, he's got the shot, the money shot, where you see uh, his his. You know, I I don't know how to describe it. His face. Yeah, if you can call it that. <laughs> And what we're saying is the Conservatives are the largest party. Note, they don't have an overall majority at this stage. 314 for the Conservatives, that's down 17. 266 for Labour, that's up 34. I'm not sure what Stephen's face is revealing here. But perhaps he's realising the Corbyn free tomorrow he's been thinking about might never actually come. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. And the narration because seals it as well. When he goes, I don't know what that face is, but it's the face of someone knowing that Corbyn isn't going anywhere. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's, it's certainly very, not happy. No. It's very Joe in Arrested Development when he realizes yeah. that his plans aren't going to work, and it's like, I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful. So, uh, do we determine this film to be ideologically correct? Mm. No, I mean, I I think it might be accidentally ideologically correct. It yeah, works I mean, in our favor, but not as it intended. They definitely yeah. stumbled upon it. It wasn't intended to be good. It wasn't intended to be complimentary to Jeremy Corbyn either. I think the reality of the situation kind of forced them to change the tone of the documentary, which makes me feel like even if the election had gone badly for Corbyn and they'd made the documentary that they wanted to, it would have been very forced because regardless of what the election result was, that campaign was probably the most enthusiastic Labour campaign that I can remember as long as I've been, you know, leafleting and canvassing for the Labour Party and I've been doing it since I was, what, four, oh shit, nearly 20 years now, so I'm so old. So it would have been a very unfair documentary to make one way or another because what we saw this year is that there is a different Labour Party that is possible, that is able to pick up new voters, old voters, sensible voters. <coughs> <laughs> quote-unquote sensible voters and all of that and there is another way to do it that isn't just a diet version of what the Tories are offering and so to have made the documentary that they wanted to make originally regardless of whether Theresa May had got a landslide or not would have been very unfair to the campaign that Corbyn ran for the 2017 general election and a, a more honest documentary maybe if the result had gone the way they thought it would would have been to look at whether the behaviour of the MPs could have changed the result. Yeah, because that the documentary that should have been made in the aftermath would have been to go back and have a look at the three MPs you've got on camera, gauging the result and then asking them, how much do you genuinely think you can say you contributed to this result? Real Politic was presented by Jack Rain, Reed Tom Foster and Yai Rise with special guest Jude Wanger. Audio production by Jack and by Tom Dissonant. Smoke weed every day.
marketing, it's young people, it's crowdsourcing. Better get the best shit you wrote that makes them go wild. Shit if you put up in an AOL profile. Download it, burn it, and ship it to Kansas. To a cousin that'll pump it on a college campus. Play it in dances and translate it to Spanish. So foreign exchange motherfuckers will understand this. Shit that'll make a chick send you a panties and fight with a family like don't understand me. Raps that'll change the existence of birth from infant to birth. If mom heard the verse, like what? Didn't understand that at first, so she be versed and played it till it made a brain burst. That's how it works. Sorry, Jeremy. Sorry, Jeremy.